Well, today we are wrapping up our series on the ruthless elimination of hurry. And uh, the last chapter of the book was about slowing. It was one of my favorite chapters, if you read along. He just gives some real practical ideas for how to slow down in your life. <laughs> the challenge is, actually, he didn't give me very much to go on for a sermon. It's just a bunch of really good ideas. And so I'm going to get to some of those ideas as we proceed here. Um, but, but today I want to sort of zoom out and talk a little bit bigger about this idea of of slowing. And to begin, I want to talk a little bit more uh, personally. Um, this, this, I had this weird experience at the end of this summer. As some of you know, I turned 40 in July. And um, I had heard people talk about turning 40 and midlife and halftime and sort of all this stuff. And I was like, whatever. Like, I, I like my life. I'm actually... You know, I work out, so I'm in some of the best shape of my life. It's not going to be a big deal to me. And uh, I was surprised how hard 40 actually hit me. Like, suddenly there was, like, some gray in my beard I didn't see before. I had kids starting to talk about going to homecoming and ho- going to college. I am way too young to have kids having these conversations, right? That when did that happen? And uh, I started to think about my life and turning 40 and some of the things that I wanted to accomplish. And one of the things I wanted, some of the things I wanted to do and books I wanted to write and projects I wanted to complete. Started looking at myself and my work and and, um, things I wanted to learn and things I wanted to do. And if I'm honest, uh, uh, I was a little frustrated, right? I was a little disappointed in myself. It got a little dark, a little grumpy, a little distant. And I think the whole time, God was laughing at me. Do you ever think God laughs at I think God laughs at me. Not in like a mean way, but like, Jordan, you're just being dumb again, you know? Um, and the whole time, I hadn't thought about how this, this fall, I was going to be preaching this series on the ruthless elimination of hurry. And... and um, slowing down in our lives and, and trying to have more experiences of God in our lives and, and how we miss that. And so in this world, we've got to slow down and experience more of God. And I came across it because I knew, I came across this program in the spring in this book because I knew we were rushing as a world. And, and I knew I was rushing too, especially how I find it, found it. But as I read the book, I really thought, man, this is going to be great for my people. And then I started to realize, actually, I really need this. And then it was really kind of funny because in the middle of preaching this series on unhurrying your life, I got sick. I got COVID that turned into a sinus infection that wiped me out. I'm still like, eh, dinner time, I'm kind of done. And it's like God, God was like, hey, not only are you going to preach on not hurrying, you're going to start taking naps. And you're going to have to, like, sleep, and you're going to not have the energy. Like, like Jordan, like, lay down. You're going to fully experience this series. And if I'm honest, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. And, uh, but, but it's caused me to force me, in some ways, to reflect. In fact, I was so tired, I really didn't have time to pout about turning 40 anymore. I just had to get done what I had to get done. And the disappointing thing as I look back on, on the last few months is 
Like when, when I turned 40 and I looked at the disappointments of my life, it wasn't like, ah, I wish I was closer to God. Or I wish I had spent more time with my kids. It was like, I wish I had done more. I wish I'd accomplished more. What's up with that? Right? What's up with that? And what I, Here's what I'm starting to realize. Is we are all trained to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to approach our lives. We're being disciplined. Okay, we're being discipled in how we live. And if we are not being discipled in the way of Jesus, I have news for you. The world is perfectly happy to disciple you in their way. And what I started to realize was how just how much I have been discipled in the way of the world. Even in churchy things. I feel like I have to do them now and I have to get them accomplished. And, I, and it's, it's like God sort of cleared the playing field for me. It made me go through this series. So I've been preaching to you, but I've been really preaching to me. It is kind of funny in this series how much my kids, like after a simplicity sermon, come home and say, Dad, you don't do any of that stuff. Like, you should get rid of some stuff, Dad. Like, yes, I've been preaching. If we had to wait till I was a master at something for me to preach it, we'd be waiting a long time. But in this particular case, no, I'm struggling with these things too. And what, I, what I've come to realize is what's really most important to me is experiencing and seeing God in my life. That's what I really want, and that's what I really want for you. That's really what my ministry is built around. I want to experience God, recognize it, and respond to it. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for you all. I want a different kind of life, everybody. In this shallow world, I want depth. In this fast-paced world, I want slow and patient In this individualistic world, I want deeper community. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to listen to God. I want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I want that for my kids. I want that for you. I want that for myself. So it's been valuable for me to go through this and have to think through some of this stuff. And I think this is a big challenge for the church because we talk a lot about experiencing God in the church. But I'm not sure we actually help people do it. Here we are in a worship service where every part of this service has been designed over centuries to help you experience God. But how often do we come in and we're not even looking for an experience of God? We're not even expecting to experience God. We're just simply expecting to experience church. How many of you in your life, you have to have heard how important prayer is, right? People talk about prayer, you know, you got to pray. How many of you have actually been taught how to pray? Or that there are different kinds of prayer, See, we're pretty good at talking about prayer, but we don't really do it. How many of you understand the Bible and devotionals are important? Like, you should have devotions. You should have, be reading your Bible. But, but, but we're not doing it, and no one's probably ever showed you how to do it. We just said you should and pushed you out the door. See, we, we've got to start training ourselves. When I look at the life of Jesus, I see a lot of this, actually. Okay, Jesus was, we're supposed to be modeling our lives after Jesus. Not just listening to his teaching, but modeling our lives after Jesus. And if you, if you know about the life of Jesus, Jesus was a practicing Jew. He was a practicing Jew, which means he had certain things that he did regularly to help him connect with God. Some of these we can assume because he was a first century Jew he did, but most of them are plainly written about in the scriptures. Okay, so let me, let me just give you some lists. Just like Muslims and Jews to this day stop three times a day to pray, Jesus would have stopped three times a day to pray. 
He would have stopped morning, noontime, and evening. Other prayers too, but those three he definitely would have done. Most of his prayers would have been the Psalms. And the Psalms was more than a prayer book, it was a hymnal. Jesus would have had most of the Psalms memorized. And he had certain Psalms for certain experiences in his life. But he would have had most of the Psalms memorized. He would have sang them regularly, spoken them regularly. We know that Jesus followed a lot of the other Jewish spiritual disciplines. He was circumcised. We know that he fasted. He observed the Sabbath, though not always as stringently as everybody wanted him to. But he did observe the Sabbath. He was in the synagogue or he was in the temple a lot for Sabbath. He would have washed his hands regularly. He would have eaten kosher. No bacon for Jesus. He would have eaten kosher. That was part of the following that he did. We know he followed an annual calendar because we, even as a child, we know that Jesus went to the temple for certain festivals. Okay, he followed a certain annual calendar with certain holidays in it. He would have pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When Jesus was grieving, such as when his father Joseph died, he probably wore sackcloth and ashes to help his body feel in some ways the pain and the grief that he felt inside. And though Jesus was very busy, he, he, he was often interrupted. People often thought he was late. Remember Mary and Martha? Lord, if you'd only been here. And yet, what is Jesus always doing? He's got a woman that touched him. He's got Zacchaeus in a tree. He's got all these interruptions. He's never quite too fast to be interrupted by people that needed him. Now, he was a practicing Jew. He did activities. He trained. Think of them like spiritual exercises. Jesus went to the gym all the time. And he lifted weights. He didn't lift weights, but he prayed. He prayed his psalms. He did all these things so that he trained his body. And you, do, you know, do, do you know when he, when he was going to his hardest night of his life, okay, he, he, he did what he normally did. What did Jesus often do when he was really, really busy? He'd pull away to pray. He seemed to like gardens. He seemed to like mountains. And he seemed to like seasides and rivers. He was often pulling out, pulling away to pray. And on the hardest night of his night of his life, where did he go to find strength? To the Garden of Gethsemane. To pray. It's not by accident that Jesus could say, not my will, but yours be done. It's not by accident that Jesus could go to the cross and find the strength to willingly go to the cross. It was years and years and years of spiritual training that Jesus went through to prepare him for that moment, to bring him close to the Father. And throughout... Church history, then, Christians have been practicing Christians. They practiced following the way of Jesus. Now, some of the things that Jesus did, they didn't do anymore. Like, they didn't follow the Jewish festivals. They weren't Jewish anymore. And uh, they started eating bacon. We got past kosher, praise God. And uh, they, they, uh, they didn't do all the washing. They actually continued to pray three times a day. Although, eventually, that sort of got uh, quarantined into mealtime prayers. Remember, in the ancient world, they didn't have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's later. They continued to gather on the Sabbath, but what did they do with the Sabbath? They moved it from Saturday to Sunday, because that's when Jesus rose. See, they started to change some of the patterns. They didn't, they didn't view circumcision as a, as a uh, religious item. They had their own calendar, so they didn't follow the Jewish calendar, but what were some of their big days? Christmas. Easter, so, you got, so, so we had festivals related to some of the saints too. 
They had made up their own calendar. Most importantly, because of Jesus, they understood God to be a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so their practices started to change. They had things like new things like communion that Jesus taught them to do. They started to worship and develop an order of worship for church. But they were training. Everybody see this? Jesus was training in the way of the Father so that he could say, not by my will, but yours be done. And the Christians throughout history have said, okay, we got to keep the training going. Okay, we got to get on our machines and we got to do our things that we need to do. So they continue to pray, pray and find all these new ways to pray. Now, here's what, I, here, here's what seems to have happened to me. When, when we get to the Enlightenment and the Reformation, it, it starts out in the church. Let's remember, Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. Okay, that means he had his head shaved where a lot of us naturally do it. He had it shaved there. And then uh, he wore robes. He prayed multiple times a day. He lived in a monastery. But, but as the Reformation got going, two things started to happen. One is they started to push away anything that was, seemed too Catholic. If it, was, if it seemed too Catholic, we're going to get away from that. I remember, I, remember teaching, uh, I remember teaching a class on spiritual disciplines. I was talking about fasting. And somebody raised their hand and they said, fasting, isn't that like a Catholic thing? No, it's kind of a Jesus thing. You know, it was, it was Jesus was doing it way before it was a Catholic thing. Okay, I think they assumed Jesus was Presbyterian. I don't understand. Right? So, so, they, so what part of what the church did was they, they just got arm's length away from anything they felt like was too much Catholic too superstitious. And then they moved into what's called the Enlightenment. So they got really logical. So, so we got to know things. The problem with that is we lost some baby in that bathwater. Okay? The problem is we, we, we started to take the Bible and we made it into this academic thing where we dissect it. And you had to be like a professional scholar to understand it. And we lost the ability to read it devotionally and prayerfully. We let our pastors pray for the congregation, but we, we lost our own ability to pray. That daily prayer got lost in mealtime prayer. We totally lost the Psalms. We don't pray the Psalms anymore. And we wonder why so many Christians seem spiritually unfit. They haven't been working out. They haven't been training. Right? If you had to go run a marathon right now, could you do it? There's a couple people in here that could. And they ran this week, okay? Like, they have been training for it. But so many Christians, they, they suddenly, they get a word from a doctor. Something bad comes down the pike. They turn 40 or whatever number. And because they haven't been spiritually working out, they're not in shape enough to handle the spiritual stuff they're going through. And you know what gets lost in the mix? Is the prayer of Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done. See, if you don't train, then when bad stuff happens, your instant response is not, not your will, but mine be done. You have to train yourself to submit to the Father in the middle of those things. That's really hard. It, it, it's hard for us as Presbyterians, if, if you, or some of you grew up Methodist or, or Lutheran or whatever, for those Protestant churches. We've never experienced all these prayer things that the Orthodox might have or that Anglicans might have or Catholics might have because we've just never been exposed to them. We've made our faith so logical we can know about Jesus, but we don't actually experiencing him daily in our lives. In fact, when we start talking about prayer and fasting and all this stuff, it sounds new agey to us. But it's not, everybody. It's old agey. 
Okay, it's been around a long, long time. We just have never been exposed to it. And here's what's happening. The world is changing again. The Enlightenment is over. Modernism is coming to an end. We are coming to this new postmodern world. And what's happening is a lot of Christians are starting to look back and say, well, well, what does it mean to be a Christian before it was so modern and logical? And so some of these old practices are coming forward. Okay, And so like my, my dad, when he was in seminary, he was in seminary 40 years ahead of me. When he went to seminary, he learned a lot of psychology and sociology. Okay, he, he learned no spiritual disciplines. He read almost none of the early church. Okay, it was all Reformation forward for him. In fact, his, his history class was all Reformation forward, really. Maybe some early church, and then we jumped to Martin Luther, and that was history in uh, his seminary education. I went to seminary. I had a class we had to take on spiritual formation. Okay, we read a lot of the early church. Our church history did like two weeks on the Reformation. It was a whole year of looking at the entirety of Christian history. So there's this rediscovering. Everybody see what I'm saying? That's, that's happening because we need it. Because modernism and any, and we don't know how to practice our faith. We can come to church, but we don't know how to actually do it daily in our lives. And because we're not practicing it out there, when we come to church, we don't really experience God that much either. Isn't it interesting that the, 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 I think this is what the world is so hungry for right now, right? I mean, I mean yoga is really popular. Okay, meditation and mindfulness, hugely popular. And the world seems to understand that you need to slow down for this stuff. There's books on essentialism. There are people living in tiny houses, like getting rid of possessions, getting rid of the hurry of life, working from home, trying to live more mindfully in their lives. Oh, the world is looking for spiritual experience. They're actually looking to slow down and experience God in their lives. Do you know where they're not looking? The church. Because unfortunately, when they look at us, they don't see us experiencing God the same way. They don't see vitality here. And so they're not looking here. And part of the answer is we've got to be experiencing God. We've got to figure some of this stuff out. We've got to be trying spiritual disciplines. We've got to be submitting to God's will. We've got to start exercising our spirits, everybody. Now, what's the problem with exercise? It's not that fun. Okay? It's not that fun. I don't want to do it. You want to exercise? No. It's hard to get started. You don't know what you're doing. You almost need a trainer to tell you what to do, right? And, and uh, you know, if I, if I put you all on a rower right now, some of you might die. But um, it, it, here's the real challenge. The real challenge is if I put you on a rower today, you, you might die. If I put you on a rower tomorrow, you're probably still going to die. It takes time to build up, to train yourself. You don't go run a marathon tomorrow. You've got to go through a sequence of building up your running, of stretching, of exercise. And that's where we are as a church. We, we have got to start disciplining, start exercising our faith. And a big part of that, I'm, I'm convinced that this book is right. Part of the reason we don't do it is we don't know how to do it. We don't know it's important. Part of it is we're just living life way too quickly. We're just rushing. And rushing is the antithesis of a spiritual life. Okay, it's like if you're really, really busy, you know what you're not going to do? Exercise. Bottom of the list. 
if you, if you want to exercise, you actually want to get in shape, you got to prioritize it. And that's not what we do with exercise, and it's not what we do with spiritual exercise either. So how do we slow down? Well, some of it's def- finding some of these new practices. Some of it is, is finding, um, some of it's finding old practices. Some of it's finding new practices. Um, Jean-Marc Comer in the book gives you a couple of good uh, strategies for slowing down. One is simply to walk slower. Some of us just walk really, really fast because we're always in a hurry to go to the next thing. Just slow. Just walk slow. Go the speed limit. Not five over. Not three over. If you go too far under, we'll all hate you. So just go the speed limit. <laughs> Actually stop at stop signs. This is a crazy one. And, and he says, get in the longest checkout line on purpose to make yourself wait. And don't play on your phone. Force yourself to wait. He also suggests, and I think this is, a, it, Jesus didn't have a cell phone. The disciples didn't have Twitter. Okay, um, um, the Apostle Paul couldn't watch news all day, every day. So some of the things that they didn't have to worry about, I have news for you, we have to worry about. I would challenge you to fast news. Just don't watch news for the next two weeks. Your life will be so much happier. Okay, um, but, but control your phones. Everybody, there was a time when your email didn't go to your pocket. It went to the computer you had to go read it when you wanted to check it. Stop putting your email on your phone. Stop getting, stop getting notifications for everything. Control the technology. Don't let it control you. And one of the things he says in the book, and I, I've, I've been experimenting with this, and it actually works. Turn your phone to grayscale. If you've got an iPhone, if you've got a, any kind of smartphone, change it to black and white. If you do that, if something goes on in your brain where you are not, it's not as fun to look at it for three hours, and you won't. You'll look at it, and then you'll stop looking at it because it's not as fun. It's actually, what it'll show you is how addicted you are to your phone. If you, if you turn it to black and white for a day, you won't be on it as much. You'll have all this time. You won't even know what to do with yourself. Honestly, the, the, we have to, we got to in some ways deal with how technology is actually working on us. And it is not neutral, everybody. The news is not neutral. They want to get you excited so you watch again later. Your phone is trying to fight for your attention. They are experts at it. You, you, you have to fight back in some way. Here's a couple other things I might add. Okay, to, to have a little more of the divine in your life. One of the things the Bible talks about a lot, Jesus did this, is getting up earlier. Okay, what you do with the first part of your day sets a tone for the whole day. And a lot of times, if you're going to have devotions, you've got to do it in the morning. Okay, some, I'm a night owl. But if I want to do, if I want to have spiritual disciplines, I got to do them in the morning. I cannot squeeze them in through the day. I got to get up. I got to do them in the morning. Here's another thing. We have totally lost meals. Okay. How many people don't sit down for meals anymore? We either get fast food. Okay. What we need is slow food. Cook a meal. Have somebody over to your house. We're not good at this at my house. Our dinner table is often pressed against the wall. We can't even sit around it. That's how much we don't do this. Like, we all need to eat with people. Cook meals. Have people over. Sit down. Teach your grandchildren how to cook. Teach your grandchildren how to bake a pie with you. We have lost the art of sitting down and eating. Take walks. Enjoy campfires. Turn off the radio. I want to build my life. I want to build my church. 
I want to build my family around experiencing God the way Jesus did. The way the followers of Jesus have done. That's what I want. And to do that, I think we need less gas and more brakes. I think this series is right. We've got to slow down. We've got to Sabbath. We've got to find some peace. We've got to slow down to go deep. And it will be work, everybody. It's like going to training. It's like going to the gym for the first day. You don't want to do it. It doesn't feel right. The first time you go to do Sabbath, you're going to think of a million things you want to do. First time you try to go sil- have silence in your life, you're going to go about three minutes, and it's going to be like waterboarding. Okay? you got to train it. And you're not going to see results right now. This is, that's the hard part. You're not going to see results right now. But you could in six months. You could in a year. It's going to feel unnatural. It's going to be hard. That's why it's called discipline. But discipline is why we're called to be disciples. So may you slow down. And may, God find, may you find God in the slowing.